I'm happy that that's happening. I'm happy that when a white and black couple have a kid, they're considered black because our numbers are going to increase and increase faster. That's going to come to bite white men in the butt, that concept. You're welcome. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Allison. Welcome to episode four of the second season of Allison Interviews. As always, thank you so much for joining me on this journey. It means the world to me. And on this episode, I had the opportunity of sitting down for a unique and frank discussion with Matthew Knowles. He is the head of Music World Entertainment, and of course, he launched the careers of Destiny's Child and his daughter, Beyonce, and his daughter, Solange, and a bunch of other artists. You know, it's it's so interesting how you don't know as much as you think you do about a public person until you really take the time to sit down with them and get to know them. Like, I didn't even know that he worked with Shaka Khan, the OJs, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, this guy has helped to sell 450 million records worldwide, okay? I mean, it's it's just astonishing. And the fact that he came from the corporate world and then he transitioned into the music industry and just really took the music industry by storm. I mean, he created one of the most celebrated music artists in the history of the entire music industry. It's absolutely phenomenal. He's also extremely educated. He holds multiple degrees, including a PhD in business administration. He's constantly taking courses at Harvard. He really is like somebody who really has devoted his life to betterment, self-improvement, which is something that I can certainly relate to because I'm constantly educating myself, listening to different videos and reading books on how I can become the best version of myself. And we should all be doing that. And one of the ways to become the best version of yourself is to stay healthy. And Matthew is actually involved right now in a health initiative called Flex for Checks. So that is Flex, F-L-E-X, for F-O-R, checks, C-H-E-C-K-S. The website is flexforchecks.com. And this is a really cool initiative because... Anybody can register on flexforchecks.com, find a local vaccination spot, get your shot, go back to flexforchecks.com, upload the documentation that you've gotten a COVID vaccine shot, and get a check in the mail. It's so simple and so life-saving because we're almost there, people. We are almost there, and we want to eradicate this pandemic so we can all get back to thriving and living our best lives. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, without any further ado, sit back, relax, listen to an amazing discussion with Matthew Knowles. Oh, and we talk about his daughters. We talk about the music industry and how he took it by storm and found such phenomenal success. We talk about the racial divide in this country, in America, which is something that the conversation needs to keep going because as much as we have discussed it over the last 
last, let's say, 18 months, the conversation needs to keep going. There's so much more. And when you listen to Matthew Knowles' story, you're not going to believe it. The situations that he encountered growing up in the Deep South, how he worked his way to the top of corporate America, how he worked his way to the top of the music industry, how he's mentoring and teaching other people today. It is really phenomenal when you hear what he talks about in terms of segregation in the South when he was a kid, what his family went through, what he went through, being one of the first children of color to attend an all-white school. Yep, it's all in this conversation and a whole lot more. So sit back, relax, don't fall off the treadmill. (laughs) Yes, I listen to my podcasts on the treadmill, so that's why I say that because I'm picturing a lot of other people doing the same thing. But whatever you're doing, listen to this conversation with Matthew Knowles and enjoy. First of all, for people who don't know, because I actually wasn't aware of this association, can you explain what the National Minority Health Association is and how you got involved? Well, the National Minority Health Association is basically working with the brown and black community in health initiatives. You know, when we look at, for example, black men and we look at the percentage of black men in America, We lead in a mortality death rate in every category, Allison, except for breast cancer and suicide rate. And when we look at breast cancer, Black Mm -hmm. women lead in mortality rate for breast cancer. Why is that? It's because of lack of awareness in our communities. It's about lack of early detection. And so that's what the National Minority Health Association is about. And this specific program is to increase awareness of getting vaccinated in what we're calling a flex checks. You register, you get a shot. Once you've proven that you've gotten your vaccination, then you receive $50. And that's when you got the complete vaccination, meaning the, I mean, unless it's Johnson and Johnson, but if it's Pfizer or Moderna, you complete the two shots. Every time you get a shot regardless if it's one, two, mm-hmm. or the booster, right? you will receive $50. Okay, so here's what I'm confused about with this particular situation with the vaccine, because when you talk about lack of medical access, at this point in time, you can pretty much walk into any CVS, Walgreens, or any clinic, and or even a vaccination site. You don't have to pay. And the vaccines are readily available. So when you say lack of medical access or underserved communities, is it more about getting people the information than the actual vaccine? It's both. What research has shown, and we're almost there, you know, we're almost there, 70% of the U.S., but there's still the 30%. And so what do we have to do to convince and incentivize that 30%? that is a high minority rate, is we think Mm -hmm. to give a financial incentive. I know it sounds sort of absurd that I have to give you a financial incentive to save your life. Right. But but if that's what it takes, Mm -hmm. then that's what the National Minority Health Association and with a grant that they've received is willing to do, is incentivize people to go and get vaccinated. That's the real core. I've heard this before, but I want to get your opinion. Is there an overall 
skepticism of government, of medical establishment among minorities still? There is. And I, I happen to have just a sheet that I pulled and one talks about the myths. Okay. One of the myths is the vaccine haven't been tested on people like me, people of color. Well, the truth is, is the clinical trials for all three vaccines took all kind of diversity into consideration. Pfizer, 30% people of color. Moderna, 37%. Johnson & Johnson, 35%. So that myth is busted. The other is, uh, there's a myth that there are side effects to getting the COVID-19 vaccine. The truth is, while there are some mild side effects, I've got the Moderna two vaccination. I've got the booster, the booster shot. I did have soreness in my arm the next day. Actually, it was two days. But the risk reward, yeah, the risk reward of me having a sore arm or having a ventilator down my throat. Right. Let me weigh that out. Did you just have the sore arm or did you have any other side effect? Because I know I got I got kind of a headache and I got this weird, like creepy crawly feeling on my skin and I got the sore arm. But that was the I didn't get a fever or anything like that. Did you get any other symptoms? I, I didn't get any other symptoms. My wife didn't get any other symptoms. I have heard of people like yourself having headaches and fever mm -hmm. and muscle pain. And so that's real. But again, I have to weigh that you out. You have to weigh it. And say, yeah. which is more important to have some soreness or headache? I think that there are some aspects might be fear of the unknown. Uh, when I go get my shot, someone might be thinking, will I get side effects? What kind of side effects will I get? So it's that anxiety of the unknown. Perhaps. Well, let me share with you. I have a cup of tea. I'm going to drink it. I have no idea what the ingredients of this tea is. I have no idea if this cup gives me any side effects whatsoever. The food we eat, we have to put this in a proper perspective. We never really truly know every ingredient and in what we put in our bodies. We have to have trust in science, trust in research. It really boils down. And I'll tell you another thing, Allison. I haven't heard anybody say what I'm about to say. Shoot. A lot of people, I think, haven't gotten a vaccination because of fear of a needle. There's a lot of people that are traumatized by needles. Nobody's talking about that. I think one of the big mistakes we've made is when you turn on the TV, all you see all day is somebody getting a needle in their arms. Well, that I believe that's been a deterrent for many people. Right. You know what? You're right, because there is a needle phobia. And I actually, I didn't get it from my doctor. I actually went to CBS. I had the woman who gave me the vaccine hold my hand because yes. I was such a baby. <laughs> well, I mean, it's normal, but no one's yeah. really saying that. I really truly believe that a lot of this is just a phobia of getting a needle in my heart. Yeah. Which, by the way, you really don't. I mean, you really don't even feel it's like two seconds. It's like you blink and it's over. It, it's, it, so. I didn't even know the doctor was talking to me. And the next thing I know, and I'm saying, well, when are you going to give me this? He was like, I already right. give, I'll already <laughs> give it to you. I was like, what? What? <laughs> so something interesting happened in the news recently. Unfortunately, we lost Colin Powell. 
to complications from COVID-19. Now, something that was confusing that came out in the news is that his loved ones said, we want people to know that he was completely vaccinated. And then that gave rise to that skepticism of, well, see, he was completely vaccinated and he died of COVID complications. Then more information came out that he had actually been battling multiple cancers, which really like decimated his uh, immune system. But what do you say to people who rebut with information like that or share it on social media? Yeah, and, 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 you know, people will rebut but, and will use that as a reason as to not to get it. This is based on the information the last 24 hours that I've listened and read uh, that he had a, a compromised immune system that he had not got the booster shot yet. Red, again, this is just, this is not necessarily all accurate. I'm just re, uh, citing what I've, I've, I've read and heard. Uh, I have a compromised immune system. I understand that by getting a COVID shot doesn't necessarily 100% mean that I'm not gonna get COVID. What it's supposed to do is not have me in a hospital with a ventilator down my throat, hopefully. Right. And so for that reason, I was one of the first to get it. And I think it's very unfortunate, uh, but we have to understand that there were other underlying conditions that were working here way before COVID even came out. Right. What's interesting to note also is that because my parents who were in their 70s, they recently got an antibody test because they got vaccinated way back in February. Um, and then what happens is what, what I've been told and tell me if this is correct, that your antibodies after about maybe six to eight months, they start to wane. And that's the purpose of the booster shot. So it's good to maybe check to see what your antibody level is to get a booster shot if it's been a certain amount of time. And not yeah, just and that's, that's, that's as I understand as well, Allison. You know, I, I, I haven't, I take this very, this COVID very serious. I get so, I get so disappointed, even angry. Just this weekend, I was at a neighbor's house and we got into a conversation and somewhere in the conversation, I asked a question. Oh, you have been vaccinated, right? Mm-hmm. And the, he said, no, I haven't been vaccinated. And, and what really bothers me Look, everyone has freedom of choice. I grew up in Alabama in the 50s and 60s and integrated all the schools because George Wallace came up with the concept, that concept of freedom of choice, George Wallace came up with in desegregation. So we all have a freedom of choice, but I think you also have, a, you all the other person, the freedom of choice of knowing that you haven't been vaccinated. Right. For the same reason you owe that other person the right of life to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a one-sided thing. Well, I got the freedom that I don't have to do that. Well, you also should have the necessary commitment and right to make sure you're not hurting another person. Absolutely. I'm almost to the understanding that, that until this really gets into a legal system where someone has COVID, haven't gotten vaccinated, and it's determined that they gave that to another person, I think it's going to take that to get this last 30% off of the uh, edge. And along with programs like the, the National Minority Health Association, mm-hmm. if I live in a, a underserved, depressed financially neighborhood, we take for granted $50. Mm-hmm. 
Well, to yeah. some people, that makes a major impact with it. Right. $50. I get two vaccination and a booster. That's a $150. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, we take that for granted. Uh, but I have family members and friends that that impacts them greatly. And so okay. we're hopeful that through this initiative that we can get our communities, especially our underserved communities, to do what we call flex checks. And how can people get the financial compensation when they get vaccinated? How does the process work? Well, I'll just read to you the process. You register your account by contacting the program center at 877-770-NMHA, or you can go to flex for checks at the nmha.org. First thing is that you register. Then you get the shot at one of the many convenient locations in your community, and we identify those. Then you upload proof of your vaccination to the Flex for Check profile. Once you've given the proof of vaccination, you would then get paid for each shot you receive and mm -hmm. upload proof of. We'll automatically send mail to you $50. It's that easy. Perfect. All right. You mentioned that you're from Alabama. Mm -hmm. And you grew up in the 50s and 60s, so I would imagine that you lived through segregation, Jim Crow. I mean, what what was your firsthand experience? Do you have a memory of something painful or something impactful and formative that happened to you in your early childhood or in your adolescence? Well, you know, I've uh, written five books, and one of those is Racism from the Eyes of a Child. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother went to high school. A little small town in Marion, Alabama, with Coretta King. Also in that class was Andrew Young's uh, wife. My mother then moved to a, a larger town in Alabama, and she took up the torch of desegregation. And imagine, I was born in '52, so '58 through 1972. From 1958 to 1972, I went to all white schools. Think about you went that. To all white, meaning that you were in the minority. Were you? I and, mean, and, and in my junior high school, there was six blacks, a thousand whites. In my high school, there were maybe twenty blacks, three three thousand whites. Uh, at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, there were fourteen thousand whites, maybe fifty blacks, and then I transferred to a historical black college, uh, University HBCU, Fisk University mm -hmm. in Nashville, Tennessee, which was my first experience in a, in a black environment in educational. So I was one of the first. I've been beaten. I've been electric prided. I've been spit on. I've been humiliated, all sorts of trauma, and, and had to go to years of therapy. No different than for a woman who's been sexually assaulted Right, in her right. childhood, racial trauma is the same. Wow. It just it's, doesn't get the attention that it should. Unfortunate that a woman can be sexually traumatized 30, 40 years ago, but mm -hmm. can't be black and say that. Nobody cares. Right. Well, how did you make your way to Houston? And do you think that the success that your daughters have had in the music industry and the success that you had in the music industry 
could have been possible had you stayed in the deep south? Or do you think like there was no ladder up where you were from? Well, I think it was more of my educational path of getting a proper education. I was in Nashville, Tennessee. I chose Houston because the oil industry, and at that time you had affirmative action and you had quotas uh, that these major oil companies and, and all the other companies that were successful because of the oil initiative in Houston. So it was very easy being black and getting a, a really good job. That's why I went to, to Houston, Texas from Nashville. I grew up in Gaston, Alabama. We had a good year. We had a Republic Steel plant, real blue collar. Chances are I would have ended up working at one of those type of facilities if I had stayed in Gaston, Alabama. My parents had encouraged me. My vision was much broader than that. So I wanted to go and get the academic education and knowledge and then get the uh, corporate 20 years of corporate experience that I had. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. 
And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So you worked for Xerox Corporation and what gave you the power of belief to make the leap from a stable job with Xerox into pursuing music full-time, specifically with, I guess it was first with Beyonce and then with Solange when she got older, but what gave you the faith, the blind faith to make a leap like that? Well, to clarify, I call it the Jedi line trick, Allison. Unfortunately, that's the messaging that the media has painted. That's not accurate. It's not even okay. close to close to being accurate. You mean the story of, of how it happened, the story of you leaving? I worked at Xerox Corporation for 10 years. Okay. Eight of those years, I worked at the Xerox Medical Systems, which was the elite. We sold diagnostic imaging for breast cancer detection. In the 80s, zero radiography was the gold standard. Because of my success of being a number one sales rep worldwide for three years in that division, I was able to go into with Philips Medical Systems to sell CT and MRI scanners, first generations. Then after six years of having success, headhunters calling, I went to Johnson & Johnson as a neurosurgical specialist. So let's stop there. That's 10 years of inaccuracy, two companies that's not accurate. Then because of managed care, I was then asked by a neurosurgeon and told by a neurosurgeon that he couldn't use my instruments because of the costs associated. So it was a defining moment. I had to decide what career path I wanted. I had committed to 20 years of corporate America. As a kid, I did things like DJ for my parents in a boy band, had this passionate love of music. There was a young man in Houston who had asked me a couple of times to manage him. The first artist that I got a major record deal was not Beyonce, was not Solange, was a rapper named Lil O. MCA Records was the number one urban record label, Puffy, Mary J. Glides, and go on, Jody C. Uh, so you see how inaccurate that story is. Oh, yeah, that's very inaccurate. You Extremely your inaccurate. All right, so we're busting apart the myth. Okay, so I see. So you now, so you got your feet wet and you got your foot in the door with MCA working with this other artist. Yes. Got it. Okay. And I went back to school also because I believe knowledge is power. You know, for 15 years, I've been a college educator. And so I went back to college and took three courses. I went to every seminar I could began to build every relationship that I could, which is the key things you have to do. But you have to understand, skills are transferable. So I was able to transfer being a top sales worldwide. I was able to transfer those skills to the music industry. I was able to transfer those skills to the beauty industry as we own for 17 years the top hair salon in Houston. I was able to transfer those skills to the apparel 
in the clothing industry, as we own House of Darion, this team of brand and Darion. That's important for people to understand because people may not realize that whatever their skill set is or whatever their experience is now is transferable and can be used to transition into something else or even just to branch out in, in terms of whatever it is that they're doing. So I think that's really important for people to think about. Yeah, and, and so... Allison, if you talk to anyone that worked at Xerox that worked with and knew of me or Phillips, they would be like, I'm not surprised he was successful in the music industry. Mm-hmm. Maybe other people are, but we're not. And I had this amazing talent. talent to work with. Yes, yes, <laughs> Let's yes. not take that out, out of yes, this I don't know if anyone's ever thought about this before or if you've ever spoken about this, but did Beyonce or Solange or you, for that matter, experience any racism early on in the music industry? Yes, absolutely. The way we're talking in the 90s mm-hmm. and you had the urban division, sometimes it was called the black music division. So there was segregation already inside of these major record labels. Mm-hmm. Because I also managed white artists. I got to see the budgets. There's a great difference in a black artist in the urban division's marketing budget and a white artist in the regular pop division's budget. Okay. What is the best advice that you've ever received? Best advice I've ever gotten is when you live your passion, mm-hmm. you never work a day in your life. Think about that. So the advice was find your passion. Find that thing that motivates, inspires, mm-hmm. that adds fuel to your excitement. That's the thing that we should be working towards, not what our parents want us to be or society want us to be or husband, husband or wives want us to be. It mm-hmm. should be that thing inside of us that we're passionate about because normally that is guaranteed success, not overnight success. But over time, if you follow your passion, two things will happen. It'll be so exciting every day you work, wake up, just like my morning, exciting. This is my fourth Zoom call. I'm just as excited today about it as I was my first or the eight I have on Thursday. I only do two Tuesdays and Thursdays. But I'm excited about what I do. I was excited about talking to you. And because of my passion, it leads to work ethic. And that work ethics is, I'm going to research Allison Cooper because <laughs> work ethics coexist with passion. Right. You yeah. put in the work because you want to be the best at it. Yeah. I mean, I would do this for free. I would pay to do this. I, I get it. You get it. You get yeah. it. Yeah. And what do you think you came into this life to learn? And what do you think you came here to teach? You know, I grew up poor. Mm-hmm. Yet, I never knew I was poor. I didn't know I was poor until I was in my mid-20s. My parents were such great parents that they never made me feel less than or than any other kid. They, I had wonderful parents that motivated me, that supported me. My grandfather was a major inspiration, entrepreneur. I come from a family of entrepreneurs on both sides of my family you see entrepreneurs. So I had that foundation that really, really has always encouraged me. So I always have been 
wanting to educate and motivate people. That's why I think I've always did so well in sales and marketing because I understood how to motivate. It was based about education and knowledge. I love coming from a place of knowledge. I don't shoot from the hill. If I get in a debate with you, it's because I know what I'm talking about. Okay. So those would be the two things for me to educate and motivate and having those parents that were role models. My dad made $30 a day driving a produce truck and convinced the company that he worked for to let him keep the truck. And he would go tear down old houses. He would sell all the copper metals. He would buy old cars that were abandoned sometimes. He would sell all the parts. Uh, my mother was a colored maid. She made $3 a day. She convinced the white woman she worked for and her white girlfriends to give all the hand-me-downs. And on the weekends, she would make these beautiful quilts with two of her girlfriends. My parents made six to 10 times more on their second job than they did on their day job. So I watched that. I watched them being entrepreneurs and thinking outside of the box. Okay. And are you a spiritual man? Do you pray I, at all? I, I believe in the universe. I believe that a power greater than myself exists. Okay. And by the way, there is a strong connection between, you know this, between financial empowerment and a belief in one's future and the desire to look after one's health. You do well, see that, right? Health is number one. Without that, you become actually a liability to everyone. I mean, health is number one. You can't be the best family member. You can't be the best friend without having good health. Because I understood early diagnosis and early detection. When I found my cancer, I was able to, to find it at stage 1A. Everyone has not had that opportunity. This is about early detection knowledge and understanding of health. I believe in faith, but I also believe in science. And I think you put them together, not one by itself. What is the other way? I know that Minority Health Association is now that they have this big COVID vaccine initiative, but what other ways are they reaching out to minority communities to help people look after their health in general? Just the things that we're talking about today of giving information, they're less than a year old. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're startup. They've gotten the funding, which takes a while to do that just in itself. And now ready to gear it in our part because we are aligned on early detection and information, especially in the black and brown community. A lot of our challenges is just because we don't know. We simply don't know. And, and also the mental health that, that people don't want to talk about, especially in the black and brown community. What are those effects that mental health or lack of has on our overall health? Yeah, but I think that that's starting to change because I do see that there are some initiatives and there are black and brown people that are speaking about the importance of mental health and speaking about the importance of therapy. I know Taraji P. Henson had testified before Congress about the importance of um, cultural competency in terms of mental health providers. Do you think that that is, 
an important ingredient? Do you think that cultural competency or even more, more doctors, more therapists who are black and brown would make underserved communities more likely to, whether it's getting a vaccine, whether it's early detection for cancer, whatever it is, that it would make them trust more, want to seek help yeah, more? I, I, I think that falls in the gamut of society, that if we were able to see more doctors and nurses that look like us, if we were able to see more police that look like us in our community, yeah. I think we could take that to corporations. Yes, absolutely. If we were able to have that culture, you know, I go, this is my second year uh, going to Harvard uh, in the summers. And I took this summer cultural intelligence. You know, we just don't want to talk about the differences in our cultures. Black people are culturally different than white people. And that doesn't say one is right or one is wrong. Right. That simply says that the way I might approach a problem could be different than the way you approach a problem based on my culture, background. And, and I just think it's a when we begin to understand cultural intelligence and understand how we are different and accepting of that rather mm-hmm. than being everybody's got to be the same. Oh, yeah, you don't have to be the same. Well, it's that thing of like when people say things like, well, I don't see color. And a lot of people, I think, have an issue with that because it's like, well, you should see color because, yeah, like you yes. said, we are different. I mean, that is a fact. Well, every room I ever walked into, I saw color. <laughs> I can only speak for myself. I can tell you unequivocally, every time I walk into a room, I see color. Is that the first thought? I mean, is that like one of the first thoughts that goes through your mind or is it just in the background? It's your- in the background, but it's also cultural experiences. Yeah. I see color. I do. If I walked into a room of all Black people, I would see a room of all Black people because it's factual information. Right. If I walked into a room and half of the people are white, I'd say I see a room full of white people, half full of white people, or any other culture, Asian or Hispanic or Latino, it doesn't matter. You know, when someone says that to me, I immediately take a step back. I don't see color. If you don't see color, (laughs) there's something wrong with you. (laughs) Yeah. That became like a thing that people would say at some point when, when, like, if somebody would talk about the issue of racism. And it's generally a Caucasian person that would say it and say, well, I don't see color, you know, and they think that they're saying the right thing, but they're not. So, right. Because when I see this picture right now, I see the paintings on the wall, blue and reds. I see all kind of color. Right. I see you and your color. Right. And my brain say, hey, I'm having an interview with a white woman. <laughs> <laughs> and it's okay, Allison. That's fair. We, we, have, to, we have to stop being so uptight about yeah. saying that. It's okay. Yeah, and, and when we get to the point that we can be comfortable saying that, that's when we start to really uh, to change or affect change and to modify and change our behavior. Right, which is one of the things COVID has helped us do, is to adjust and modify and change our behavior. Look, we used to spend. I remember living in Houston, flying to New York for a music business meeting, 
spending $4,000, when you look at the airfare, hotel, food, for an hour meeting. There's no way I can justify that today for one meeting. Right. There's no way. Well, you you didn't have the technology to do it any other way. But sometimes mistakes, failures, bad things that happen in our lives are opportunities to grow, not a reason to quit. Mm -hmm. COVID has been an opportunity for all of us to grow. Yes, 100%. I mean, I, yeah, if your perspective didn't shift, there's an issue. Yes. I, I would agree. But one, one interesting sidebar, something that I think is interesting is that uh, I have a 12-year-old son. I'm Jewish. His father is Jamaican. So my son is Black. And he came home the other day kind of distressed. And I said, what's going on? And he said, well, he had a favorite teacher, the social studies teacher, Ms. Smith. I said, what's going on? He said, well, he said, well, Miss Smith was let go today and she was my only black teacher. And that was interesting for me to, to hear from him because I didn't realize how important it was to him to have a black teacher. And now he doesn't have one this year. So he could identify with goes back to that cultural intelligence. What I find very, very interesting. You know what I like about you, Allison, is we could just have a conversation that have to be one-way question. But what I I found interesting is the determination of when there are a mixed race, what is the determination of the kid? I was just talking to uh, a neighbor I just met, and I actually thought he was Black. He's mixed. And he I asked him in the conversation, what's on your driver's license? He was like, white. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So, you know, it's interesting that if there's a black and a white parent, the mm-hmm. kid seems to always be determined black. Right. Do you find that? It's interesting because huh, I had this conversation with Lenny Kravitz because his dad was white and Jewish and his mother, Roxy Roker, was Bahamian. And he said that all throughout his childhood, he would say to people, my dad's white and Jewish and my mom is black. And people would say to him, no, you're black. So basically what he was saying is people told him, it doesn't matter that one parent is white and Jewish, you are black. Society. Right. White society determined who he was. Right. So he was told, this is what you are. And it's like, okay. And so for me with my son, I was like, well, And somebody else had once made a comment to me. They said, please raise your son as a person of color because that's how he's going to be treated. You know, I think I I think I'm happy that that that's happening because I think it's going to come to bite, especially some conservative white men in the butt, because in the browning of America, I'm happy that when a white and black couple have a kid, they're considered black. Because our numbers are going to increase and increase faster. That's going to come to bite white men in the butt, that concept. You're welcome. (laughs) 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 No, I mean, it's a societal and political and social fact. So my son, for all intents and purposes, is a person of color, right? He's black. So we're raising him as, you know, culturally and religiously, he's Jewish and racially, he is black. 
I mean, that's a fact. So, so that that's what that's what we're doing. And but this leads me to a. Did you know? Did you notice that I have one T in Matthew? Yes, I did. And you know that's Jewish. What is that? It's Jewish. One T in Matthew. Is it really? Yes. But well, what's what's the connection with Mateo. with with you and your family with it with a, a name that's spelt? My dad had two T's in Matthew, mm-hmm. but. When you grew up in a small town like Gaston, Alabama, you have to remember in 1952, you had a colored wing and you had a white wing. And the colored babies back then, be in a hospital, mother would be in a hospital maybe two weeks. And so in a small town like Gaston, the administrative staff were quite uneducated, nor did they care about the colored kids and getting their names right. I didn't find out until I got my passport to go out of the country for the first time. And you have to go and show your birth certificate because nobody really looks at their birth certificate. That my first name was misspelled. My middle name was totally wrong because no one really cared about getting getting it accurate for a colored baby. Racism is up. A terrible thing. So your your name was actually was supposed to have two T's, but it was misspelled? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. And you never wanted to change it back. You wanted to keep it. I wish I had just because of search engine optimization. And a lot of journalists, when an editor get the uh, article, they choose to spell it with two T's rather than a one. Almost almost now I've gotten that 50-50 and I bring it up. So please make sure your editor spells it correctly. But something happened when I was selling CT and MRI scanners. And I called on this major hospital who had never, ever bought my company's equipment, ever. They only bought General Electric GE MRI scanners. Me, I go up, I go to the chief of radiology, his assistant, and she says, oh, Mr. Nellis, real nice woman. We've never had your equipment. You know, he's not going to see you. And I said, well, that's fine. But what I just want is just a moment for him to put name and face together. And that's all I asked. And after that, I won't bother you. She said, Mr. Mills, he's not going to see you, but I'm going to go in and take him the car. So she goes in, gives him my car, and she comes back out with a flushed face and I can't believe it. He wants to see you. So as soon as I hit the door, he said, you are not damn Jewish. And I said, oh, hell yes, I am. And that moment allowed me to sell $20 million of equipment. And I realized having a Jewish first name worked to my advantage. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> I don't think yeah. if I had two G's, I would have got in that door. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Do you think that as a person moves up the socioeconomic scale, does race cease to be a factor in terms of medical care, or is is there still a discrepancy that most people don't know about, and why? There's a bill that's about to come in the next six months in the House of Representatives from a California congressman that is going to address just that, race in the medical system, and research that has been done, research, quantitative research with doctors, with hospitals uh, that makes it very, very clear that race does matter in terms of getting those going into the emergency room, 
who gets to get the diagnostic, the extra care, the CT, the MRI, who gets that? Race does matter. Even if you are middle class, upper middle class? I think it's certainly reduced, Allison. Absolutely reduced as you go up the economic ladder. Because what happens is as you go up the economic ladder, normally your knowledge base also goes up. Okay. And as your knowledge base goes up, you, you begin to understand that I'm not going to see this doctor who I just look up to as God. I'm going to see my physician who I have a patient right to say, I want this procedure done. I have the right to do that. And because I've researched, I want you to do that, perform that that test or that procedure. And I think as you move up economically, you also move up your knowledge base. Is there a point where race, you can have all the money. I always loved what uh, Michelle Obama uh, said once about uh, President Obama. They asked her, are you frightened that uh, your husband is gonna get assassinated? And she said, you know, my fear is that my husband could get shot by the police pumping some gas. The point she was making is that because when you're black, there's no determination that says, hey, I'm the president in the neighborhood and you're dressed normal. You know, when you're black, you know, that everyone doesn't know who your daughter is, nor do they care. Just recently, I'm going on the plane and putting my bag up in first class and the flight attendant comes over and said, I'm sorry, sir, you need to put your bags in the back with coach. And I said, do you say that to all of your passengers? He says, yeah, I said that to all my coach passengers. And I said, so you just assume I'm flying coach. Huh? You know, those type of things still happen today. Wow. That sucks. And I'm sorry that that happens. Yeah, well, but it happens more times than it should. Thank you, Mr. Knowles, for your time. This is a great interview. All right. Have a good day. Okay, so what did you guys think? I have to be honest. I know that I don't know somebody's entire story until I sit down to speak with them. And again, and I know that I sound like a broken record, but that is why I love what I do because people's lives are so multifaceted and three-dimensional and you really don't know what somebody's journey has been, what they've gone through. And man, like some of the stories he told me about things that he witnessed and that he experienced growing up in Alabama and how he overcame a lot of those things and how he witnessed a lot of parts of just what went on with civil rights and desegregation growing up in Alabama. I mean, it's amazing to think that this is what his parents went through and then him and then to get where he got and then to see the end result and to see his kids. I mean, my God, it really truly is amazing. And it shows that our lives are here to serve the next generation. Like, yes, we should be living our best lives, of course, but we are here in service of the next generation. 
separation. And anybody out there who's a parent knows exactly what I'm saying. So I really hope that you got a lot out of this Matthew Knowles interview. And for information on the Flex for Checks program and how to get paid to vaccinate and protect yourself against the COVID-19 virus, again, go to flexforchecks.com. All of the information is in the show notes below. And thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you will subscribe. Leave me a review. Let me know what you thought of this specific episode. I love to hear from people and hear what you guys think. And until next time, peace.